بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله الذي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الرحم وأكرمني بنور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزان عدونك برحمتك يا رحم الرحيم Another desire that we should try to develop in ourselves and students is search for justice. You cannot have a good Muslim, a good human being, without having concern for justice. And I think this is actually one of the outcomes of truthfulness because whenever there is an issue of justice and injustice it's related to the truth so someone or some party has the right and the unjust people want to ignore want to disregard so Injustice is a manifestation of battle, of falsehood. And justice is a manifestation of truthfulness. In any dispute, there is an element of truth that we need to discover. If I have a problem with a relative, a friend, a stranger, or even with an enemy, I should try to understand what is the truth. And then what is justice? I have no right to ignore the truth. No matter who is now closer to the truth. Maybe in one case, a bad person is right. Maybe in one case, our enemy is just. We cannot say, because he's an enemy, then we don't bother about the truth that he says. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, لَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شَنَآنُ قَوْمٍ عَلَىٰ أَلَّا تَعْدِلُوا this ayah is beautiful. If everyone just observed this ayah, the world would be, would be excellent. Do not let your enmity and hostility with some people make you unjust. Be just. This is closer to taqwa. Even with your enemies. And suppose these enemies are not even personal enemies. Even these are enemies of God, enemies of religion, enemies of humanity. And still you cannot do zulm. If, for example, child of your enemy is your student. And child of your greatest and closest friend is also your student. Can you discriminate? You cannot. Even if son of Yazid comes to my school, 
I cannot discriminate against him because of his father. Thank you very much, Sarif. <laughs> Amir al in his final will, in his wasiyah, said to his sons, and of course this is for everyone also who received this message, Kuna chasma, you should be helpers for the oppressed and you should stand against the oppressors what does it mean first of all it means that you yourself should never be an oppressor <laughs> You know, sometimes we think that, no, I am okay, I am not Zalim, because I have no, for example, power. You know, we think that, you know, you have to, for example, have a, a country or a government or a big party. You can be a very simple, ordinary person and be Zalim to yourself, to other people, to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to your parents, to your neighbors, to your colleagues, to your clients. To your employees, to your employer, to be zalim doesn't need that you should be a, a statesman or woman. So, a Muslim, a Shia, has one of the top priorities in his life, and that is not to be associated to zulm. Secondly, after we make sure that we are not doing zol, we should not just be pleased with that, I am not doing zol, that's it. We should not be also indifferent towards zol, when there are people who are suffering, and we can help them, then we should help them. You should help Mazlum. Of course, helping Mazlum is not always by doing something physical or you know something violent. You know, you have to be rational. You have to be wise. You have to know Islamic procedure for making decisions. It's not that as soon as you see a Mazlum, your blood you know boils and you know you do something that can make it worse. For example, if there is an issue between your father and mother and you think your mother or father is Muslim, you have to know how to get into this, otherwise you can make it just worse. Sometimes it's better just to keep quiet and later try to find a way good, you know, quietly speak to the other person that you think is not observing rights of the other party. You speak nicely. Sometimes you have to just ignore because you know that if you interfere, it would make it worse. So what is important is that you have concern. But what you do out of concern has to be very well measured. 
Unfortunately, sometimes when we see something bad, we quickly get in, you know, uh, kind of emotional and, you know, we are triggered to do something. We have to be very careful. When I was writing the book, She Islam, Origins, Faith and Practices, this book actually first started when I was teaching to a group of sisters who had come from different countries to Qom. So I had a course for them on Shia Islam in Qom. Then when I went to Manchester in 90s, I started a second course on Shia Islam. So there were two series. Then I was asked by Islamic College uh, to write a book on Shia Islam. So I used my notes and I started, you know, writing. So in 2000, I think 2001, I finished the book. In the final stage of writing the book, I was thinking that I should have a chapter in this book about general characteristics of Shia Islam. Because I had talked about origin, about history, about doctrines, about practices, about the Shia in the world today. But I thought I should help my readers to understand what are the general characteristics of Shia Islam. What is the spirit of Shia Islam? And Alhamdulillah, I came to this conclusion in 2000-2001 that there are three things that if you have them together, then you are close to a Shia, a spirit. I'm not saying every Shia has these three, or everyone who has these three is Shia. But this is what a Shia is supposed to have, and I hope everyone else would try to have. Mm-hmm. Then, in some occasions, I mentioned this to different people. I gave lectures, for example, one Muharram in London, one Muharram in Toronto, I talked about this. I gave different, you know, presentations. I talked also to our non-Muslim friends about this. And I remember very clearly that in 2004, I went to receive four Catholics from UK at the airport, the Malkhomeini airport. And this is, you know, middle of the night. So one of them asked me, what is the difference between Shia Islam and other ways of Islam? And I mentioned these three. I said, there are different ways to answer. You know, I can say the history. I can say, you know, some doctrine. But I said, these three are in Shia Islam everywhere. And he kept... I will tell. <laughs> he kept referring to this during the visit. And later, when I came in 2006, 2007 in London for one year sabbatical, so we were in the same university. 
so many times you know discussed this and the last time I saw him he said that he's writing a book one chapter is on this in November 2015 I took part in dialogue with World Council of Churches and in my presentation I talked about these three and how having these three can help us avoid extremism after the talk we had a break and the head of the Armenian church in Iran told him told me that we believe the same and in the final statement they put this as something that all religions should try to have so what are those three and these three should be together this not just one or two so this is like we want to make a food you have to have all the ingredients so sorry. yes sorry to interrupt but do these three characteristics come under the heading desires we're still talking about desires we implement in our children and our students uh, they relate to that okay. because i'm talking about justice oh, and so okay. so they relate to that yeah. yeah one is rationality rationality the Shia have to be and have shown in their history in large there are exceptions some Shia are not rational but those who are true Shia those who are understanding Shia those who are following the example of Ahlul Bayt are very rational Inshallah, we talk about rationality later, and we had it in the lecture yesterday. Mm -hmm. But we will talk about rationality. We want to have at least one session on just rationality, inshallah. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be rational? Yeah. And how in Shia Islam, Aql has a very high position. Aql is the hujjah of Allah. Imam Qazim salam says, Allah has two hujjah over people. There is external hujjah, and that is prophets, messengers, imams. But there is internal hujjah, aql. Your aql is hujjah. You have to love your aql and follow your aql. And this aql, even in bad people, tells them right direction. Because the hoja never betrays. <coughs> if they follow their aql, they find their truth. <coughs> you know, the Quran says about the people who go to hell. قَالُوا لَوْ كُنَّا had we listened, means listen to external hujjah. Our na'agil used our internal hujjah. Had we listened or followed our aql, we would not be here. Okay, when they say na'agil, what does it mean na'agil? Means using someone else's aql or using their own aql? 
So any person who uses his agl or her agl comes to the same conclusion. Alhamdulillah, Allah has given everyone the same agl. Maybe some people are sharper. Maybe some people, you know, get it faster. <laughs> but it's not that someone gets it right and someone gets it wrong. If we follow logic, if we follow agl, we should come to the same conclusion. This is why we discuss with each other. Why, you know... We discuss because we know that we have the same understanding if we have the same facts, the same approach, the same reasoning. So, there are a lot to say about rationality. The other thing is a spirituality. In Shia Islam, a spirituality is very important. Al-Rawhaniyyah. It's very important. We have lots of du'as, lots of munajat. We have aql and tear. <laughs> this is the Shia. Aql and tear. If just tear, no. Just aql without feeling and emotions and spirituality, no. So, spirituality is very important. And here you find Sufi Muslims who are not Shia. Some of them are Shia. But even those who are not Shia are very close to the Shia. And normally their orders, their genealogy goes back to Imams of Ahlul Bayt. Most of them, 90%, they go back to the Imams. We have lots of sayings and instructions of Ahlul Bayt about spirituality, about morality, about Irfan. And the third is search for justice. For Shia, Aql, rationality, and spirituality would not isolate them from society would not isolate them from the problems of the world because you know if you are a philosopher and a very rational person there is a chance that you may not be very spiritual if you are very rational and spiritual there is a chance that you may not have interest in worldly affairs but if you want balance you have to have all the three together if you have these three together, it makes miracles. A rational person who is deeply spiritual, sincere, committed to God, a loving person, a kind, generous, honest, truthful person who is rational and also works for justice. This is what we need. Some people only are concerned about justice, but because they are not rational, they just add to the wars and tensions in the world. Or because they are not spiritual, when they themselves get power, they become zalim. There are many opposition groups, after they come to power, they again become like the previous peoples. Because it's not easy. You have to be rational, you have to be spiritual. So, these three should be together. Rationality, spirituality, and search for justice. 
And this has impact on our education. So if you want to train good Muslims, good Shia, you must train people who are rational, spiritual, and concerned with justice. This is where we were talking about justice. It's very important. A Shia would not do zulm even to an insect. Wallahi law u'titu al-aqalima sab'ata wa ma tahta aflaka. Allah an a'siyallah fi namlatin aslubha jilba sha'iratin ma fa'altu. Amir al-Mumni says, if I am given seven continents and everything under their skies to do zone to one ant, I would not do it. So no zone should come to our life. This is very difficult. Pardon? So, here, alhamdulillah, we have fiqh that can help us. So, if they are annoying, causing problem, causing illness, that is permissible. For example, if there is an insect which is poisoning or, for example, annoying. But... If there is an ant that has nothing to do with me, why I should take its food from its mouth? Yeah. Yeah, this is the point. This is Zulm. This ant is taking his food. I don't have right to take its food. Yeah. But if, for example, there is a, I don't know, insect which is causing harm to me or trouble to me, that's maybe a justified or uh, I have a paper about environmental ethics in Islam and I have quoted from Shia scholars and jurists that you cannot kill animals for pleasure. It's not possible to go hunting just for pleasure. If it is for food, for the service of life, then it's okay. Or for protecting yourself. This animal is dangerous and it's going to kill you. You can protect yourself. But you know, just going and hunting for pleasure and then leaving the animal or it's not eatable, this is not good. Even our fuqaha say that if you make a trip for hunting for leisure, it's not uh, making your salat, you know, ghasr. You have to say food, yes. What about the ice cream inside the home when you protect ourselves? It's not the pool and contaminated. Yeah, so if it is a matter of either it's not hygienic or, for example, it's going to disturb your life, yes. But otherwise, you shouldn't. For example, uh, yes, it's possible just take them out. You know, when Imam Khomeini was in Najaf, it is said that, you know, there were some flies or mosquitoes. He just used to take his abba and sending them out. 
because they don't think that they have right to kill something that Allah has created. Okay? So sometimes it's a matter of halal and haram, sometimes it's a matter of extra carefulness. You know, there was a great alim in Mashhad, and he passed away a few years ago. He was very spiritual. He was sitting in his courtyard, you know, in the, in the Saha, and then was going to his room, and then his children saw he's coming back. They said, why are you are coming back? He said, I found some ants on my dress. I have to go back and put them where I was sitting so that they won't be displaced. <laughs> so this is the amount of care of this island. That you are careful not to even be displacing them. So more religious, more care. Pardon? Will be more uh, religious, more care. More care, yes. Your care would increase. Mm -hmm. But again, as I said, Fech explains how much is necessary, how much is extra that you can voluntarily do. Because we have also to have our life. We don't want to disturb life, but we want to also be as much as possible careful. Okay, so search for justice is something that has to be deeply built in us. In the same way that as soon as you hear something is nudges, you know, you want not to touch. <laughs> when you sense there is zulm, you have to distance yourself. No way to get into zulm. And of course, zulm is not only killing people or taking their money. A great type of zulm is to damage people's reputation. Yeah. That's one of the worst types of zulm. That someone for some years has built up a reputation yeah, this reputation is a capital that this person can use to work, to function. And we are not careful and we damage it. This is great though. This is sometimes worse than killing. Because if a person is killed, he is killed with honor. But if reputation and honor of someone is destroyed, then he has to live with shame, with shame with, without honor. It's a great zul. So, one of the things that we should make sure that we have in ourselves and our students is deep concern for justice. In the same way that we said uh, for truth. And the last thing for this section Desire, appreciation for honor. Ezza, <coughs> karama. I believe one of the greatest rights of people, if not the greatest, if not the greatest, one of the greatest rights of people is right for honor. 
Maybe you can say actually it's the greatest. In your opinion, what is the greatest right of people? Right for life or right for honor? honor. honor. I think right for honor is even more than right for life. Yeah? Death is better than losing honor. Imagine if they put someone in cage, give him food and water in the cage, but treat him like animal. Okay, he's alive. But this life is not worth living, that you are in the cage and they treat you like animal. What we understand from Islam and teachings of Ahlul Bayt is honor is one of the greatest blessings of Allah and one of the greatest rights of people to be respected, to be treated with honor. Their honor should be recognized. Alhamdulillah. We had a series here in Islamic Center, 10 lectures on honor and dignity in Islam. And this is something that has to get into our education. If we have sense of honor, we will never do bad things. Akram kulla nafsik. Sorry, Akram Nafsaka and Kulla Daniya. If you honor yourself, you don't do bad things, yes. Uh, I just want to comment. Sometimes we confuse honor with pride. Yes. And that, that's pride. pride is false. Yes. Pride is false. Pride means I don't have certain quality but then I think I have it's like an empty balloon mm -hmm. a person who is proud negatively proud means it's like a balloon it's empty but because of you know air you think you are big mm -hmm. this is pride which comes from arrogance from self-admiration from ultra but pride is different from honor. Actually, those who have honorable character, they are humble. Those who lack honor from inside, they try to solve the problem by pride, by arrogance. You know? If a person comes with a good family background. You know, if you are from a very noble family, if you have, you know, very good akhlaq, lots of achievements, you don't need to be arrogant. You are very humble. But if I don't have any quality, if I don't have any good family background, any, I don't know, achievement, this hurts me inside, that I am empty-handed. Then I try, maybe unconsciously, to solve the problem by becoming arrogant. So as soon as a person, you know, for example, 
ask me a question, I get angry. You are questioning me. You are, you know, blaming me, criticizing me. But a person who is confident and strong, he would not be feeling bad when people ask him questions. So, honor is very important. And inshallah, maybe tomorrow I should continue this discussion because lots of things to say about karam, about honor. And this is something that Ayatollah Mutahari says is the core of Islamic ethics. So, inshallah, we will talk about this tomorrow. Yes. Just I go back to the question of Sister Alia before we finish. How we can understand that we are on the right track? How can we understand that we are on the right track? I think till we are alive we would not be able to be 100% sure that we are all right. Yeah. Always a fear, a worry remains. Because a mu'min would never be pleased with himself or herself and with his or her performance. Okay? A mu'min is very critical and suspicious of himself or herself, not others. Those who are not mu'min, they are suspicious of other people. But mu'min is suspicious of himself. You have to be very critical and suspicious about yourself. So, it should never happen that a day comes that you say, Alhamdulillah, I am mu'min, I am muttaqi, I am waliyullah. That means that that is actually the opposite. But there can be signs that may give you hope, not guarantee. There are signs that can give you hope that inshallah you are not too far. <laughs> you are on the right track. One of those signs is how ready you are to admit your mistakes. For me, this is a great quality, if not the greatest, that a person can easily acknowledge his or her mistakes. If it's very easy, without feeling pain, you admit your mistakes, you are very close to haq. But if I even inside myself cannot understand that I am wrong, let alone to admit to others, this is worrying. This is arrogance. Sometimes I tell people, when was the last time you admitted that you were wrong? Then they have to think, you know, maybe last year I accepted that I made a mistake. Maybe <laughs> six months ago I accepted that I... 
Are you ma'asum? You are not ma'asum. But why you have not noticed your mistakes and why you have not admitted your mistakes? So a sign for being on the right track is readiness to accept mistakes. Welcoming people, good people, I'm not saying bad people, welcoming good people, people that love you, criticizing you, sharing with you what they think you have to do to improve. Do you welcome or do you get angry? If you welcome, this is a sign that you are on the right track. Are you very careful about truth? Even if no one is going to realize in dunya that you have, for example, made a lie or you were not careful or not. You know, Imam Khomeini once uh, sent a message to be read in the radio for the, you know, during the war for the people who were in the battle. Uh, then he asked to bring it back before it was sent out. And then he made a change. The change was, the first place he had written, with all my existence I pray for you. Then he changed, said, no, maybe it's not by my tamam wujud, you know. I cannot say, you know, with all my, you know, heart. Yeah. So he changed it and made it something, you know, softer. This is the amount of truthfulness. We don't think these things are very important, you know, to say, uh, with all my heart, I pray for you or I pray for you. It's not going to make big difference. It looks more beautiful to say, with all my heart. But he is so sensitive that he changes the official message that he is sending to the nation because of this. So, truthfulness, how deeply we are committed to truth. It's very important. Honor. How concerned you are about your honor and honor of other people. So, for me, these are great signs. Maybe you don't expect to hear from me this sign. You may think, for example, what is your actions, but I think these are deeper than actions. Then, of course, also your actions are important. Inshallah, maybe in the next few sessions, this become more clear. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us all the beautiful traits of character that he expects from his servants. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Allah, 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 All